Deep in the night, your heart fills with dread Probably a murderer who wants you dead It could be a ghost, a demon or worse Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse It's hopeless, you're doomed, you'd call a priest if you could You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood I'm gonna kill you Well hello and welcome to another edition of Freaky Friday It is Friday, January 26th The last Friday in January Flew by Right on by. And uh, we've got a quite a lineup of stories this week, a couple at the beginning that tie into this week's episode and January being Stocking Awareness Month and then the uh, a, a mix of all kinds of stories. That's Freaky Friday for you. <laughs> we, it runs the gamut. Right. But yes, yeah, starting off with um, a couple that do tie in. And I'll tell you what, we could do a whole month of just Freaky Friday stalking cases. So um, so we don't overwhelm people. Uh, we're going to break it up, but we'll be covering more as well. So if you did send one in, um, look for it perhaps on a future episode. Yeah, well, thank you for sending them in because for some sure. of the stuff, you know, it like unearths a memory that you hadn't thought of in a while or it's, but hopefully writing it down and getting it out helps you out. Yes, cathartic at the very least. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get freaky. This first one is from Anonymous, and the subject line is The Stalking of Mom. Hey there, obligatory. I love you, ladies, and love your podcast. And I finally have a Freaky Friday story to share with y'all. Currently listening to part one of The Stalking and Murder of Peggy Clinky, and it reminded me of a time my family experienced a similar situation. Obviously, I can only tell the story from my perspective as a then-child, and I will keep it semi-vague and change the names for anonymity, so you can use any names provided. Over a decade ago now, my mother was together with a man, let's call him Max, for a few years, eventually moving into his home with my siblings and I in tow. Frankly, the move was more out of convenience for my single mother than a desire to live with Max. But regardless, we packed our bags and moved in. Max turned out to be quite a disturbed individual. I'm talking some seriously nefarious shit online and a majorly narcissistic man. We lived with him for around a year, give or take. And during that time, my mother was isolated, berated, and her spirit was suppressed. It was easy to tell, hindsight's 2020, that she was incredibly depressed during this period of our lives and I kick myself to this day for not noticing at the time. One summer, Max took off up north a day or two before we were to join him. Once he was gone, my mother informed me we were moving, immediately. A few days later, we were living in a sketchy apartment a town or two away. From there, shit started to hit the fan. Max appeared everywhere. He would contact my mother about his concerns for my safety in our new apartment that he'd already located. He had driven around every conceivable apartment within probably a three-town radius just to find my mom's car. He would appear at her work, one time with a ring, proposing in front of all of her co-workers. He would appear at my mom's part-time job, where her and I would be late at night, and we'd have to lock the doors before closing just to have some leeway to call the police in case he tried something. 
Oftentimes, we would have someone on standby in case he showed up and we were unable to leave. I believe one of those late nights at our part-time job included a call to either my father or uncle to come escort us to our car. The most memorable of these occurrences to my child brain was when my mother attempted to take us to a Sunday church service. We were mid-song, still at the beginning of the service, when she spotted him across the congregation. She yanked us out of there and we practically sprinted to the car. Of course, as we fled, Max followed. As we were speeding down the highway, he pulled up in the lane next to us. My mom and sibling avoided eye contact, but I made direct eye contact with Max as he drove beside us, not at all looking at the road, mind you. He waved at me with this grin on his face that I can't forget. It was a grin that might have been construed as a goofy smile to a young kid or anyone else, but even I could see the unhinged look in his eyes. It was truly sinister. In my childhood memory, my mother practically became Vin Diesel in her flight from this guy that could have been trying to harm her family. Ultimately, little me must have repressed the outcome of this day because I only remember we drove for a while even after he had turned off at an exit. Eventually, his attempts faded with various threats for legal retaliation, along with our family's strong support system. We were so scared of this man for so long, but I know now he was nothing more than a coward and a bully. Last I heard, he was married to a new woman and not on speaking terms with his own two children. There's always more to the story, but as it was many years ago and I was barely double digits, this is what I could remember. This is not my only brush with true crime, especially not my only brush with the stalking side, but I'll save those for another time. Thanks for giving people a safe space to share their experiences and for handling them in such a positive and respectful way. You ladies are amazing. Much love from the Midwest, Anon. Well, that is the, like we were talking about with the Patrick and the Peggy Clinking episode, it, they become almost this like horror movie villain that you're driving down the street as a child and this is going to get imprinted on you forever. Meanwhile, that is real serious danger that you're having to put these kids, mm-hmm. you know, you're having to flee with your kids because an unrelenting person and even without technology, just good old fashioned driving around to every complex. Three for the towns car. worth. Man. Imagine the time that takes and yeah. just the mindset of somebody that's willing to go those links to locate someone, mm-hmm. the obsessive nature and just tunnel vision of I, my only goal is to find this person. And yeah, then my question is, you. and then what? Yeah. And, and again, coming to work, proposing. Yeah. It's eerie in a lot of these cases where it's not like these guys go, I'm going to go study how to be a stalker. But from a psychological perspective, it's fascinating that they do tend to take kind of similar courses. Mm-hmm. I mean, the statistics show it. And eerily enough, it often ends in femicide. So in this case, it's your mom. I'm so glad you all had that family support system and that you were able to you know, get him away from you all. Yeah. I feel like these grandiose gestures in front of others is another manipulation tactic. Like, well, it's hard to say no in front of a group of people, you know, or you hope that the coworkers are like, oh my gosh, that was so sweet and romantic. You're like, Mm -hmm. "Uh, no, not really. He's actually a huge piece of shit who 
nefarious shit online, my mind goes to the darkest places. So I don't know what that's about, but it's definitely not good. But yeah, to put the kids in that kind of danger too. And, you know, decades later, you still very much remember it. Your poor, poor mother having not only to carry that burden herself, but Mm -hmm. then her kids being there too and trying to keep them safe. And, you know, it just makes me think as much as a child might know what's going on. Imagine the daily load and just thought she's having of, okay, he's going out to the North. We're going to, I got to find an apartment. Mm -hmm. It's not great, but at least it's not here, you know, and just the things behind the scenes that you don't even know is going on to, to make those moves happen. Yeah. Late night, like visualization, like, okay, as soon as he leaves, I'm going to grab the kids. We're going to get this bag. I mean, I'm sure you walk yourself through it. And it's, it's like, you know, we said with Peggy living in that hypervigilant state, you, you know, your mom has to live in that hypervigilant state, which I'm sure is exhausting and does something to your nervous system. You know, the body keeps the score, but for you and on, don't kick yourself for not noticing you were a kid. That was not your responsibility to notice that, but it is uh, in hindsight, you know, having that grace and kindness for mom and going, man, she did all she could. And she really, you know, she did her best to get us out of there when she could. Absolutely. A lot of times too, kids at that age, they don't have the vocabulary to even know like, oh, mom is depressed. You know, (laughs) it comes with the uh, experience and wisdom of aging that we're like, oh, that's what that was. And Mm -hmm. then we can look back and kind of label it. So absolutely don't beat yourself up for not knowing that then some things are too much for kids to bear. So, you know, you have to be protected from some stuff. And it sounds like your mom probably protected both you and your sibling from a ton. So Mm -hmm. kudos to her. And I'm sure she would love to hear that you think of her this way, that she was such a fighter and a survivor and did everything she could to keep y'all safe. Absolutely. Yeah. Mom becoming Vin Diesel. That's something she needs to hear too. Definitely share that with her. Well, thank you so much for sending that in. Sinisterhood will be right back. This next one is from Kay, and Kay writes, Married to a Stalking Survivor. Hey, y'all, fellow North Texan here, and I cannot express how excited I am to hear from like-minded Texans twice a week. Thank you for being as passionate as y'all are about the subjects you cover. This week's episode about stalking really hit close to home, and I wanted to take a minute to share how stalking has impacted my husband's life long after the actual stalking ended. I met my husband, A, online in late 2014. On our first date, we did the obligatory, you aren't an axe murderer, right? Type of thing. We both expressed that we had done some Googling before agreeing to coffee, and I laughed it off as the normal online dating thing. After only a few dates, A told me he had a stalker, and at the time, I kind of laughed it off, thinking he was being dramatic. Well, let me tell you, he was not being dramatic, and we have two evidence bags of stalker mail to prove it. Before moving to Texas, A lived in the Midwest and had a nasty breakup with his long-term girlfriend. That's good tea, but not really important for this story, so I'll leave it out. Shortly after the breakup, A accepted a new job with the same company and moved to a small town in Texas. He never spoke to the ex after the breakup and definitely didn't tell her he was moving. 
Several months after his relocation, he was called down to the mailroom at his job and asked about a strange piece of mail he had received. Picture stereotypical stalker mail, shaky, all caps writing in crayon, multiple stamps used on a single small envelope, and a clearly fake return address. A was confused and stated he had no idea where it came from, and then went on with his day. Every day after that, for months, he received similar mail at his office, as well as multiple anchovy pizzas and other weird happenings. A didn't say anything at first and was embarrassed by the attention he was receiving from his employer and coworkers. Eventually, his coworker encouraged him to report it to the police. They stated they couldn't really do anything as the stalker was not in the state, but they bagged up the mail and told him to call them if she showed up in Texas. They did also call the local department where she lived to send someone out to tell her to knock it off. The mail slowed after this and eventually stopped. When A told me this story, he was laughing and acted like it wasn't really a big deal. Fast forward to about nine months, and we are engaged and deep in the wedding planning process. As you do, I created a wedding website for us as we were inviting a lot of out-of-town guests. When A found out about this, he freaked out and asked that I delete it immediately. I thought he was overreacting, but I complied. Shortly thereafter, we made a trip to the Midwest to see family, and he wanted to show me his old stomping grounds. As we were driving around, A began to get quiet, this is very unusual for him, and turned ghost white. He took his hand off the wheel to point out something to me, and it was shaking like a leaf. As I asked him if he was okay, he simply replied, no, and pointed the car out of town. Once we got several miles down the road, he began telling me how he was having flashbacks of his ex and was worried he was going to see her. It took him several hours to calm himself down. In the eight years since this happened, I have never seen A react to anything like this. I believe he was having a panic attack due to PTSD, but I'm not ethically allowed to diagnose him, so I simply reminded him it's never too late to seek therapy. A rarely talks about his stalker. I have always tried to take precautions to respect his privacy on the internet. When we set up our wedding and baby registries, we opted to not use our address as the recipient address. Both our families thought it was silly and dismissed the need, but I never went to see A in that state again. While he survived the event and he was never physically hurt, it was eye-opening for me to see how stalking impacts survivors long-term. As a mental health professional that works mostly with teens and young adults, I make it a point to provide psychoeducation to all my clients on the potential dangers on intimate partner violence. We never truly know what people are experiencing in their relationships, but I want to do what I can to help potential victims advocate for themselves to safely get out. Thank you so much for reading. I hope I could share some long-term effects of stalking. When the stalking ends, the healing begins, but it is a long journey. That, uh, that as again, like we said, the, the same patterns of sending something that seems nice, like a pizza. I don't know if he likes anchovy pizzas or if that was something, whatever, but you know, you're just trying to work and you're getting mail and pizzas that's not technically illegal, but absolutely that's a pattern of stalking behavior and it happens to men as well. Yeah. I, I wanted to include this because we often don't hear about it happening to men. And I thought that that was important, but not only the pizzas and the mail, it's also a 
I know where you are now. Yeah. You didn't even tell anybody, you know, you mm-hmm. didn't tell me or like make a big announcement that you're moving. And especially like a small town, that's that means, you know, they're on looking up, calling, maybe calling the office going, oh, is does A work there? Oh, no, he moved down south to other location. Well, then you look and they have one location in Seattle and one location in Raleigh and one in Texas. You're like, oh, down south, that's probably Texas, you know, mm-hmm. like figuring out like context clues. And it's also important why. Uh, people don't give out inf- any information about anybody when they ask, you know, because right? you just you don't know. I, I see, you know, pictures sometimes online of people going, "My friend, you know, th- uh, this person's missing," and unless it is shared from a sheriff's department, police department, or a vetted, legit missing persons organization, I do not share it because if my ex had a picture of me and said, hey, my friend is missing. You know, you wouldn't know. Someone's like, oh, that's this mm-hmm. person, you know, that you you think you're being helpful. But mm-hmm. it, unless it is a vetted, this person really truly does is a missing person. It couldn't you might be able to give somebody an in that they mm-hmm. moved away thinking they were safe. And now their stalker is able to, you know, send them eerie mail. That's so eerie, too. Yeah. And I I'm really glad that the coworker encouraged him to call the cops because Mm -hmm. even though if you're embarrassed, you know, and Mm -hmm. I think especially like maybe for men, it would be more common to be embarrassed about this type of behavior or for the fear of people thinking you're overreacting just because of quote masculinity and the patriarchy Mm -hmm. and whatnot, but it's just as scary and that should be normalized. And It should be normalized for anyone to feel comfortable and encouraged to call the police when stuff like this is going on because it's not normal behavior and the intent behind it is to scare the person point. Yeah. And say, like, like you said, I know where you are. And that's a good point of that. We all say like, what, what's look for the helpers, right? Like what's the role we have to play. And as a colleague being that support, not going, wow, a you're getting another pizza, but you better be hungry. a has got a pizza coming, you know, taking it seriously and going, Hey man, how does that make you feel? You, you know, you should probably call that in. Like it's Mm -hmm. not, you're not overreacting to call it in. Just giving that uh, outsider's perspective. It brings me back to that bonus content we covered on Dear Sinister recently where, Uh, our listener wrote in because her husband was receiving like inappropriate letters and messages and things and kind of his reaction was wife. Yeah. The coworker's wife was, you know, months would go by and then say, I blocked you, please don't respond. And then send a five page letter to their house saying, Mm -hmm. you know, basically I know where you live and kind of going, Oh, well, you know, she's just, she's probably not doing so well. It's just kind of weird, but they need to be told this is not appropriate and it needs to stop. So I'm glad he called it in and I'm glad he has a supportive and wonderful wife who recognizes it for what it was and doesn't minimize his feelings when you start to have those flashbacks, possible panic attacks, whatever, and says, no, you're you're valid for feeling like that. Absolutely. And even though we might think, well, they're probably going through something, the stalker that is, mm-hmm. okay, well, we are also going through something <laughs> by, the, by the behavior. So it's not the person that's being stalking's job to protect that person or no. to, you know, try and like take their feelings into consideration. Look out for yourself. For real. Some, they can look out for themselves or in maybe by reporting it. It leads them to getting the help that they they need because I don't mm-hmm. think anyone that's mentally well does stuff like this. Yeah, exactly. You think, oh, I don't want to get them in trouble or whatever, especially it's just some letters and some pizzas. It's like, fuck them. Get them in trouble. They shouldn't be doing that. And mm-hmm. like you said, if they don't know that they're doing that and really do need help, that might be the only way is to have a 
law enforcement kind of intervention, or that's just a mm-hmm. wake up call. Like, okay, the police came to my house. I really have to stop doing this. Right. Yeah. Which maybe since it did slow down after they called the cops out there, maybe that was the wake up call they needed. So again, good, good for on you. you on calling it in. Sinisterhood will be right back. Well, this next one is from Whitney, and the subject line is, don't even think about moving. Hello, ladies. I've listened for a long time and finally found the time to write in my own listener tale after hearing a similar story that resonated with me. I grew up in Queens, New York, on a stereotypical street of row housing, where I was related to most of the people on my block. The neighborhood had a small town feel in a big city, which in hindsight gave me a false sense of security. It was the year 2000. I was 16 and had just gotten home from high school, probably playing Kid A on repeat on my giant six-disc Sony stereo system in my bedroom upstairs, waiting for my younger sisters to get home from school. They typically got home an hour after me, so I would leave the front door unlocked for them. I remember the weather being unseasonably nice this day, so I left the front door open, letting some fresh air in through the screen door. Our house was the communal gathering place for the kids in the neighborhood, so it wasn't uncommon for our doors to be unlocked. My cousins, friends, and other relatives would routinely let themselves in without knocking and holler up the stairs or throw pebbles at my bedroom window to get my attention. On this day, over my music, I heard the screen door open and close. Assuming it was one of my neighbors, I yelled down the stairs, Yo, up here! When I didn't get a response, I called out, Hello? Still no response, but I could hear movement in the front room. This was our designated computer room. That's right, kitties, an entire room solely dedicated to a computer, printer, and modem. It was a whole thing. Knowing that by now any of my friends or relatives would have said something, I walked out of my bedroom and stood in the upstairs hallway, listening. More rustling. In a panic, I looked around for something to use as a weapon and grabbed a heavy pewter candlestick off a bookcase. Hello? I said louder and trying to sound more, I don't know, scary this time. Hello? A male voice called back. One I did not recognize. I walked to the landing of the stairs with the candlestick behind my back and froze. A man I didn't know was standing at the foot of the stairs looking up at me with one foot on the bottom step, as though he was about to walk up. My whole body went stiff. He said, I'm looking for the owner of the house. I talked to him about siding last week. Him. We are a house full of women, no men. Raised by a single mother, the stunned look on my face must have given it away. This was the moment he knew that I knew. He said, whatever is behind your back, put it down. Sit on the stairs for five minutes and do not even think about moving or I will be back. Now shaking, I sat down, placed the candlestick next to me on the stairs, watched him turn and bolt out the front door. After a few seconds, I got up, ran to the door and saw him drive away in a white car. I slammed the door shut, locking every single door and window in the house. I called my mother, my cousin, my uncle, everyone on the block, then the police. I didn't want to be alone. When my relatives came over, they asked me to recall where he was in the house and what he might have taken. He only got as far as the stairs, I said. 
So we started to take inventory in the computer room. We discovered he had taken our digital camera, some CDs, loose change, and most alarming, he emptied the basket where we kept all our spare keys. Spare house keys, car keys, neighbor keys, basement keys, all gone. Suddenly, or I will be back, took on a whole new terrifying meaning. Nowhere felt safe. When the police arrived, they suggested we stay elsewhere until we could get our locks changed. I spent the next few weeks with my grandmother in another town. Home just didn't feel safe anymore. I know how lucky I was. I know it could have been much worse, but it's a lesson I wish I didn't have to learn the hard way. I have no idea if he was caught. I never saw him again, and we never got our keys back. Since then, I locked doors behind me out of habit, and it irritates my husband to no end since I routinely lock him out of the house by accident. I've turned it into a game, making him tell me the magic password every time, but the trauma response still runs deep all these years later. Keep it creepy and lock those doors, Whitney. Oh, the... That feeling of, I know what's behind your back, sit down, and you're just a kid all alone, and you realize how alone you are with a grown adult that is at least willing to break into your house and then steal the keys. That's something like, take my TV, take my radio, but stealing the keys makes you sick. And yeah, yeah, uh, who knows if they're labeled or what, but then you're like, God, he's got access to all sorts of things. We all got to get our locks changed. This, um, yeah, being a home invasion, especially as a kid, is one of the more terrifying things you can experience. Kudos to you for being like, I'm getting a weapon of some sort. Because you probably could have done some damage with that candlestick had he come up those stairs. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, he had enough sense to say, I'm not going to fight this today and just leave. Mm Mm-hmm. But the scars it still leaves and that oh, emotional yeah. trauma that you do still have, like, I mean, you carry it maybe forever with you. Mm-hmm. It's uh, to not feel safe in your own home is a really, really sad feeling. Right. And, and then late at night, you know, you're asleep and you hear a sound. It's kind of like brings that all back. Hopefully, you know, mm-hmm. with time, with therapy, whatever. But like you said, at some point, it, it does just sort of get imprinted on us. And we have that habit of, you know, going, I'm the one that goes around and locks the doors in the Airbnb. You know, it's like, because when I was a kid, a guy walked into our house and, you mm-hmm. know, that you become kind of like, oh, I'm haha, like you said, you turn it into a fun game. But you know, it all traces back to that incident and that he to him he was just some fucking guy stealing a digital camera or whatever and you think yeah it's a victimless crime i didn't even hurt anybody i just came in and stole the camera it's like well what you do is you're stealing people's sense of safety and security Mm -hmm. and uh, something that's they're gonna think about for the rest of their lives but yeah like you said go whitney get it was whitney on the stairs with the candlestick yeah uh, (laughs) and whitney I very much know what you mean by the computer room and oh, it was hell a whole yes. thing. Everybody had all, a computer room back yes, in we the did. day. <laughs> yes, we did. You called it the computer room. Yeah, because they were humongous. They were like crazy giant ta- towers. Yeah. Also hard to relate to like uh, turning Radiohead up really loud in high school on his Sony Discman. <laughs> like, fuck yeah. Hard to relate. Six, six disc player. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Well, <laughs> Such Whitney, a flex. thank you for sending that in and for your quick thinking and mm-hmm. Like we say, keep it creepy and lock those doors. Always a good reminder. Even when you do have that false sense of security, like I know everybody on the block, 
this guy might not have been from the block, you know, you right. know, people, anybody can go anywhere. So, and it makes you feel like we just had a package stolen off our porch and it's, you know, at the end of the day, it was a package and then Amazon replaced it and whatever. But it was so creepy to think, you know, that there someone is invading your space, mm-hmm. the boldness to come on, you know, the curtilage of my house, which is my porch. But in this case, like they're walking around your computer room and touching the things and it just makes you feel so violated. But oh, yeah. But uh, like you said, I, lock those doors. Yeah. In high school, I had uh, two different cars broken into. Mm-mm. One of them twice. So three times I've had my car broken mm-hmm. into. But every time just th- being in there and thinking someone else was in here, like rifling through my stuff. Someone busted the window. They were sitting in here. It's such a violating and icky feeling mm-hmm. that in and, and pisses you off too like what gives you the right to to do this like now i'm out hundreds of dollars you've stolen my entire book of cds which probably had kid a in it honestly (laughs) you stole my radio (laughs) well this yeah it makes you feel that way of like it's it's just a i don't know it's like this kind of you put your energy into your stuff stuff is stuff at the end of the day you know i'd rather somebody take stuff than hurt me or whatever but it's that feeling of like you were it's your private space it's you where you feel like you're safe and then somebody takes that away from you and then you realize like Oh, I'm not as safe as I thought I was. No, and I had to be embarrassingly told the detective who finally did call me in for a follow up. I don't know if I told you that they called because I made you know to get a refund. You got to make a police report, and he's like, "Do you have any footage where you can see his face and not just his butt?" Because this guy's (laughs) ass, his pants were kind of down, and he had on bright red boxers, and it's just mostly his ass in the shot. And I had to be like, "I'll send you all the footage," but like, no. And he's like, "What were in the boxes?" And I was like, "Well, a battery for my prepper tendencies, like a backup battery." And a 36-pack of Verner's ginger soda. He <laughs> was like, oh, okay. I'm like, I'm sure the Verner's is gone now. It's fine. <laughs> I don't need to make a report on that. But I would. I love to think that that guy like got back to his car and was like, oh, a battery, nice. And then opened it up and was like, Verner's, nice. <laughs> He's mad it's not. 36-pack, hell yeah. <laughs> He's bummed that it's not more expensive, but like thrilled that it's such a good soda that's not really available around well, here. Well, after you've been out... <laughs> Porsche pirating all night. You work up <laughs> thirst, so he's probably grateful for it. He's like, after I steal a prepper battery <laughs> off a porch, I like to crack into a nice cold Verner's. It was cold because it was freezing out, so yeah, it was really were nice outside. and chilly. <laughs> oh, man. Well, thank you, Whitney. Sinisterhood will be right back. Well, this next one's from Rachel, and the subject line is, The time I accidentally almost hired a hitman on my ex-boyfriend. Hi, ladies. I wanted to finally write in to tell you guys about my brush with true crime. I listen to you daily and have recently been on a Freaky Friday binge, so I finally have the courage to sit down and type this up. I'm a fellow Texan, yeehaw, and live a handful of hours south of DFW. I grew up in a small town without a stoplight, so that meant I had to go to the bigger towns nearby for a job while on breaks from college. I ended up getting my first job as a sonic car hop in a town about 20 minutes away the summer before my college freshman year, which happened to have its own true crime connection, as it's the town where Stacey Stites and her fiancé lived during the whole Rodney Reed story. Also, everyone I know around here is so convinced that Rodney didn't do it, but Jimmy so totally did and the apartment they lived in still exists, which sends shivers down my spine. Anyways, on to my story. 
If you know anything about Sonic employees, you should know it's made up of high schoolers and college kids looking for spending money, plus a handful of felons, or the type of people who could easily be one. I worked handing the food out, taking orders and bagging orders as they were ready. We had a decent amount of downtime to kill outside of happy hour, if you know, you know, so I got close to my coworkers, even though I'd never be friends with them if we'd met anywhere outside of work. One day, as I was complaining about my now ex-boyfriend, a cook named Pam and a fellow car hop were comforting me. He was a general douche canoe with an alcohol and anger issues who lived to weightlift, and he lived in a college town about an hour away. I'd go visit him every weekend during the last year where we had been on and off, and it was more apparent each weekend that he was violent and that I was a secret he didn't want others to know about. That, combined with my self-confidence issues, finally led me to having a breaking point in the middle of a shift with Pam and the other car hop. Pam was a tiny Hispanic lady, probably in her 40s or 50s, and missing some teeth and rough around the edges, but she could cook a mean Sonic burger. She was very much a work mom type and was always so sweet and caring. As I was spilling my guts to her, she said, Rachel, do you want me to just go and hit him with my car? Now, as insane as that sounds, I assumed she meant it in a protective, motherly, joking kind of way. I said, no, not yet, but I'll let you know if I change my mind. Obviously, completely joking. As much as I hated the dude, I wasn't going to send Pam to off him when I could simply just break up with him and block him. Fast forward two years later, and I finally left that asshole. I broke up with him on his front porch, then immediately drove to the airport and got on the next flight to Vegas for a long weekend. Best decision ever. Two months after that, I was sitting in the dining hall of my university when I got a text from my mom asking, didn't you have a friend from Sonic named Pam? I had transferred up to the Sonic location in my college town by then, so it took me a second to remember who she could have been talking about. I never remembered telling my mom any details about Pam because she's insanely cautious who I'm around. Imagine the, hey mom, my new best friend from work is 40 years older than me and has multiple gang tattoos conversation. But I replied and told her I did work with someone named Pam. She sent back a screenshot of a Facebook post from a local radio news network saying that Pam, the same one that had offered to hit my ex-boyfriend with her car, was in jail for murdering her longtime boyfriend. I'm including a link to the two news stories about the murder, but it wasn't very well covered by the local news outside of this one radio station. Probably has something to do with both of them being lower socioeconomic status and not big names in a small town, but that's a discussion on privilege for another time. From what I gathered from around the county, Pam had been living with this man for multiple years, and they either had or raised children together. He had a temperament issue, and after deciding she had had enough of it one night, Pam rolled out of bed sometime around 2 a.m., grabbed a gun, and shot him. The article says there was a single shot, but I've heard that it was as many as three shots to the face while he slept. This was about a mile from that same Sonic where I worked with her four times a week, venting about my own horrible boyfriend. If it was true and he was abusive, maybe I'm not so sad that this is all how it ended. All I could think about, though, in the years since has been, would she have taken me seriously if I told her I wanted my ex dead? Pam had a record before this incident, and I honestly think she would have done it if I had seriously wanted it done. Thank God I didn't, but if I would have been even a little more upset, I could have ended up accidentally hiring a hit woman. It's been almost four years since Pam was arrested, but it's been on my mind more lately because her trial was just in October of 2023. 
And although my mom and I are both highly qualified amateur sleuths, neither of us can find anything online about the trial. I'd love your help finding some dirt on it if you happen to come across it. Thank you all for all the entertainment and education you give us listeners each week. I feel like I have become a more critical thinking individual after hearing you talk out your thoughts on some seriously morally puzzling cases for so many hours. I hope I get to catch a Texas live show soon, and if you're ever in need of an employee or a research assistant or a babysitter or a pig sitter or literally anything, you'll have my resume hand-delivered faster than you can blink. Love you guys. Well, I have been Googling, and all I've been able to find is it did look like she had a trial jury set for October 9th, 2023, but... I can't find anything much after that. Yeah, I was uh, I was looking myself. I'll uh, I'll keep looking, and if we if we can find an update, we can bring it on a future Freaky Friday. I even searched the the Texas DPS database, which usually shows if you've even been arrested. It'll it'll pop up on there, and she didn't come up at all, which may be a name issue because I you mm. know I searched the name that we were given, and uh, but uh, since she hasn't been convicted, and we don't have any more details. Uh, you know, I. We don't really know what what truly happened, but that is an eerie thing to know that the person who offered to go kill someone for you was possibly capable of doing that for whatever reason. And perhaps was even more inclined because they themselves were in an abusive relationship. So saw all of the trappings of it in uh, Rachel's relationship. Right. Like, you know, I I don't want that to happen to you or I know what it's like. I relate mm-hmm. something like we all know that work mom who's kind of mm-hmm. who's like, I'll do it right now. I'll go, I'll go right now. <laughs> After I um, flip this burger, I'll get in my car and go right now. Yeah. But uh, it's nice to have someone in your corner. Yeah. I mean, yeah, um, obviously, we don't want anybody going to hit anybody with a car. But it's yeah. nice to know you at least have a safe place at work where you can vent and you feel like you're being heard. Right. And have somebody commiserate and say, like, you should leave him. Like, you know, give, mm-hmm. sometimes you need that confidence boost. And I know I sure did. A lot of bad relationships in my life. I was like, oh, I guess this is how it has to be until I had a friend go like, fuck that, man. Get on out of there. Like, mm-hmm. you just you need that ump from someone else. So I'm glad uh, she and your other fellow car hop could help. And yes, Sonic Happy Hour. If you know, you know. Sonic happy hour when all the drinks are half off. Oh, hell yeah. 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 I, love I bet Sonic drink must be packed during that time. And afterwards, you're like, whew, let's all take a break. Yeah, let's kick back. And uh, so what's been new with you? And you're like, mm-hmm. let me tell you about this asshole I'm dating. So, well, uh, I'm I'm glad you did not take her up on that offer. but uh, And I'm very glad that you were able to find it within yourself to leave that relationship because that's hard to do. Even if he Mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, away at school or whatever. Mm -hmm. So good for you. Good on you. Well, thank you so much. This next one is from Jake Lynn or Jake for short. And she writes her subject line Crocs cruising and attempted kidnapping. Hello, my favorite spooky loving bitches. After listening to the story of Amy Bradley, I was reminded of a story from a cruise experience with my son and mom. My mama is a cruise fanatic and goes every few months. On this cruise, she took my son, who was eight at the time, while I stayed home with my toddler. The story starts off seemingly innocent. My son noticed his Crocs were not where he left them. Of course, it's not uncommon for kids to misplace their belongings, so my mama just decided to help him look around for them. A man came up and said, hey, did you just lose your Crocs? I saw them in the corner over there. 
My mama walked over and got them and didn't think much about it. Well, later on that day, the Crocs came up missing again. And once again, the same man found them. This time, he said directly to my son, I put them in my backpack so I could give them to you when I saw you. My backpack is over there. Once again, my mama, knowing better than to trust anyone, told my son to stay with their friend while she went and got the Crocs. When I tell y'all this man tried this stunt again, this time my mama was like, fuck it, we don't want the shoes back. We're pretty sure he was hoping my mom would say, go ahead, Major, you can walk with them to get your shoes. But no, sir, not my mama. My mama told the men in our group what happened, and they went looking for the croc bandit. They never saw him or my son's shoes the rest of the trip after my mama snapped on him and told the men what was going on. So what do y'all think? Have we been watching too much true crime, or was my baby being targeted? I will say that's the only scary thing to happen on our cruises, and we usually have good experiences. My mom was on a cruise when my papa, her dad, passed away, and as soon as the ship docked, they escorted my family off the boat before they opened it to the rest of the passengers so that they could get out and get on the road back home as quickly as possible. If you decide to read this on the podcast or just on your own, thank you for taking the time to hear my story. Also, thank you for bringing my ear holes and true crime loving spirit joy with your podcast. I've attached photos of my son for just the two of you to see, one from the cruise and one of him now. Love you guys, Jake. And then we get to see the cutest child. Sweet major. Oh, super cute. And this is super sus. Yeah. Yeah, mama. What do you think? I don't have kids. I just think everybody's out to get you, but Uh, (laughs) your face right now. I do too. I also think that to the point where it's become like a running joke with you and Tommy, (laughs) how quickly I can go from uh, zero to that person's about to try and kidnap our kids and molest them. It's a predator. It's real quick how fast I can get there. But to um, have this happen three times? No. No, that doesn't seem just like a coincidence anymore. And specifically that you name them as Crocs. Not just like, that's weird to me. Just be like, hey, are you looking for your shoes? Like, he knows exactly that that little boy was wearing Crocs. And that, you know what I mean? Like, he's noticed all these details. And uh, in this picture, I don't, he... Look, oh, he, she said he was eight, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's about, that's uh, that's an age where. Yeah. You prime, know, young. Prime targeting age, unfortunately, for a lot of people. And might not be as like, oh, this is kind of weird. It's like, oh, a person is being helpful. It is, like you said, it's strange that he knew the specificity of the Crocs. I'm not saying he targeted the kids because of the Crocs, but it is an easy thing to describe. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not like, oh, did you have on blue and black tennis shoes with maybe? It's like, oh, you had the red Crocs. To be able to come back again and again and recognize the child. And if it's not like, oh, he was at the pool and three times during one single event at the pool, my kid kept, you know, kicking his shoes in the pool. And, you know, a family's like, oh, hey, that's that kid's shoes again. It's like different locations. And the thing that really throws me off is I put them in my backpack so I could give them to you when I saw you. My backpack is over there. Sir, it's like my mom told me when I was a kid to the point where they say your parent voice gets in your head and becomes like your voice. She used to always go, grownups don't need help from kids. Mm-hmm. And so she would always be like, if a grownup says- all of that too. Grownups don't need help from kids. Like they just don't. They're smarter and older than you. And mm-hmm. so it's it's a trap. They don't Instead need of, you to help them mm-mm. find their dog. They don't need help getting directions somewhere. Mm-mm. And they certainly don't need you to walk with them 
away from your family to a backpack to get your shoes. Have that adult go get the fucking shoes and bring them back to you. Better yet, leave them where they are, sir. They are not yours. Keep your fucking hands off of them. Yeah, it's like, it's not like you're at a, uh, you know, we're on a beach on an island somewhere and then the boat's fixing to leave and I didn't want him to get left behind. Still yet, that's like, a, you know, it's not your shoes. It's on the ship. Uh, it's somebody, crazy that they couldn't find him afterwards. Almost like he's like, they're on to me. Maybe just hid out in his cabin until they finally got back to shore. Right. Just like go back to your room. That, uh, I don't like but it. But it though. makes no. me also scared. How many other kids did he try something like this with? Right. And it's, and thankfully, you know, mom was watching and was like, get mm-hmm. away from my grandbaby. Uh uh-uh, uh, you, you can hand me the Crocs. You don't need yes. to hand them to my child. But uh, no, Jake, I don't think you're <laughs> watching too much true crime. Uh, it, that's weird behavior. And uh, anybody so. who wants to be helpful, be helpful to the grownups and go, hey, man, uh, you know, like if a mom was finding shoes for another family and you're like, oh, that's that little girl Ella was playing with again. That was her shoes. You would just go over and be like, here's your unicorn shoes. We know y'all lost them. See you later. Walk off. You know, you do doing a good deed is doing a good deed. Not, hey, do you want to further engage with me and go to mm-hmm. this other location? That's, to another to me, location. Exactly. Uh, that's whenever uh, it takes a turn from just a friendly person trying to return some shoes. For sure. Yes. Well, I'm glad the rest of y'all's cruises have been uneventful. And that's very nice for the cruise line to, to prioritize disembarkment for a family that you know needs to leave because of a death in the family and everything that's lovely but yes well thank you jake sinisterhood we'll be right back this last one is from jess and the subject line is a man who tried to shove me into an elevator an angel woman and a coincidence Hi, Christy and Heather. Love your podcast, and I'm always on the lookout for new episodes being released. You two crack me up all the time, and I love the balance you maintain in your humor and sensitivity to each story you tell. Thank you for the countless hours of laughter you've provided for all of our listening ears. So I wanted to write in a super creepy story that happened to me some time ago, but it still haunts me when I think about it. So here goes. About 10 years ago, I was working in downtown Portland at a coffee shop. The area of town I was working in at the time was primarily surrounded by office buildings and businesses. This meant that in the evenings and on weekends when the offices were closed, it was very slow around the area. Due to its location near a major park and the major transit hubs, there were quite a few unhoused folks that would frequent this area. I was used to this and even made friends with some that I would see around more regularly. At the time, I was a smoker. It was not uncommon to be approached by people asking for a cigarette or some change, and for the most part, I never felt unsafe. I lived in a completely different part of the city. Some days I would take public transportation, but on the weekends when the bus schedule was limited and parking prices were cheaper, I would drive into work. On this particular closing shift, I was walking to my car that I parked in a parking garage that was located just two blocks from my work. Our closing shifts meant I got out about 7 p.m. on the weekends, and it was late spring, so there was still a little light in the sky, but it was starting to get dark. The garage is about five to six stories high and took up the whole city block. There were stairs and elevators on all four corners of the block, and the light rail train ran on the street right at the entrance of the garage. I walked from work to the garage. There was hardly anyone around at this time. I reached the end of the block to where I could see the elevator I needed just across the street. 
I also noticed a man across the street facing me. The elevators would be just behind him, and he appeared to be waiting to cross the street, walking toward me. I noticed that he was making eye contact with me and had a slight grin on his face. The traffic light turned green for me to cross the street, and as I began walking, the man just stood there, looking directly at me. To be clear, to get to my car, I would have to pass him to reach the elevator he was standing by. As I got closer, I heard him mumble something. I assumed he was asking for a smoke, but I couldn't quite make out what he said. I said, what did you say? And I heard him clearly this time, I need you in the elevator. I think my brain still couldn't register what I was hearing, but my body definitely recognized this as a fearful interaction, and I started getting nervous. I said, what? Again, and I heard him say, forcefully, get in the elevator. He started to corner me between where I was walking and the guardrail for the train, trying to corral me toward the elevator. I noticed one woman standing halfway down the block, waiting for the train to arrive. Not another soul in sight. I pushed my way past the man and ran to the woman, a stranger to me. I asked her just to talk to me for a minute. He started walking in our direction, and as he neared, I told the woman what he had said to me, and she hugged me and said loudly, Oh, it's so nice to see you! We both watched from the corners of our eyes as he walked by in a slow saunter, making sure to come in very closely to us. As he passed, he said, Have a nice day! in a peppy tone and he smiled with a devious grin. Just then, the train arrived, and I got on with the woman. There was no way I was going to walk into that parking garage on my own after that interaction, and there was no way I was going to be by myself. I fully believe that woman saved my life just by being there, and with her quick action to pretend like she knew me. Safety in numbers, ladies. At this point, something else weird happened that I feel you both will also find interesting. As I boarded the train alongside that angel woman, my roommate was on the exact car I boarded. She never took the train, but her mom was in town visiting, and they had taken it to the zoo that day and just happened to be on their way back. They were on the same train and the same car I got on. I sat next to them and through tears explained what had happened. At the next stop, we all got off and walked together to get my car. I called the cops to report what happened, but they never found the man meeting my description. A few days later, I was walking with a friend on the other side of the same block, and I saw the man exit from the parking garage. He smiled at me as he walked by, and I fully believe he recognized and remembered me. After that, I never saw him again. Needless to say, I always made my coworker walk with me to my car from then on, offering rides as payment for their services. I was so frazzled during that interaction that I never even caught the name of the woman who gave me that hug. So, if by chance you're out there listening, I hope you know I still think of you often, and I think of you as a hero. Anyway, I hope this story reminds everyone to remain vigilant, and reminds people how simple it can be as a bystander to deter nefarious actors by just staying with someone who appears to be in distress. Also, What do you two think about the crazy coincidence of one woman waiting for the train and my roommate being on the same car I got on? It doesn't feel like a coincidence to me, but rather some wild, beautiful force of the universe. Was I just lucky? Was it a guardian angel? What do you think? Oh, I think that uh, regardless of what it was, 
doesn't matter because it ended up <laughs> right. <laughs> it ended up making you safe. Just that one one person being there and it being someone that understood the yeah. the severity and how scared you were and what to do. Like like mm-hmm. we've said before, like the oh, it's so good to see you because it immediately disarms the other person and mm-hmm. now I mean, there's safety in numbers. They're like, well, I'm not going to try to take her when her friend's here now. Mm-hmm. But that feeling of just being all by yourself and somebody being so brazen, I need you to, I need you on that elevator. Get on the elevator. Well, nothing good is going to happen if you go on that elevator. So good for you for being like, fuck this and pushing past him and, and running. And then your roommate being, I mean, I think the universe was uh, looking out for you. Right? Yeah, that's such a, like, especially when it's like, it just so happened to be the weekend her mom was in town. It just so happened to be that they were leaving the zoo when they left. You know, it's like, we were going to leave the zoo earlier, but mom wanted to see the jaguars. It's, you know, it's just something like that where it's the way the the universe unfolds, we can't really even predict or, or anything, but that... When we covered the Kitty Genovese case, we gave a shout out to uh, an organization. They finally changed their, they eventually changed their name to Right to Be org uh and i think it's right to be.org and they have training like bystander intervention training that you can go through it's totally free i did it uh back when we covered kitty genovese and it's that this is exactly one of the things that they tell you to do there's like five deterrents of like you know one of them's like documenting from afar and like intervening in a way that's not hey sir what are you going to do and creates a uh you know a standoff or something aggressive but just that simple redirection of like oh sorry my friend and i are catching up and it makes it awkward for him he has Mm -hmm. to keep you know whatever he feels like you said outnumbered so angel woman wherever you are out there thank you for what you do and Mm -hmm. we can all that's a, a lesson to us all that we can be angel women and and you just you sort of realize that it as you at least i have like as i've gotten older I am more vigilant for almost other people. Like we went to an event last night and there was a guy and and was just being weird, you know, just like walking. It was a sit down event. You're like supposed to sit there and just like hear a panel. And he kept moving seats and like, and then he sat right next to this woman who looked really uncomfortable. And another woman behind him asked a question and he turned around and leaned over and started touching her thigh to like get her attention while she, like she had asked a question. So I'm like, we're all looking at her and him, but uh, he was strange. I don't know what was going on, but she, she kind of, went no and i was just you know i'm not gonna stand up and be like excuse me don't touch that woman but you just kind of look and go you got this clock it yeah you know you clock it and you're like you got this and she said the national concert when we were like there was some stuff going on there it was more a a young girl having to deal with two very inebriated parents um Mm -hmm. but you you clock it and you're like do i I, you just keep eyes on it in case you do need to step in right it's like you don't need me i'm not going to make this about me or make a big scene but like it's i i jokingly say too when i go to coffee shops because i love to go and work at coffee shops so if i see somebody has left their laptop i look at who is the owner of the laptop and they get up and go somewhere else i'm like i am now guarding this laptop for you (laughs) like you don't know me and you didn't ask me to watch it but if someone came and tried to steal your laptop i'd be like hey that's not yours the person's mm-hmm. in the bathroom it's just one of those where we can all you know we all have a part to play and so thank god old angel woman was there and and got you on that train at that right time but yeah it's creepy to see him again later and that he yeah. you know smiling in a knowing way it, it, you know at first you're like oh is that person you know struggling they're not doing so well but to forcefully know what he's doing of 
get in the elevator and then mm-hmm. later to see you again and like, hello, and like, have a nice day, ladies, like walking off. It, that's uh, that's a predator. Yeah. 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 Yes. And if Angel Woman is listening by some other force of the universe, let <laughs> us know. We'll yeah, right connect in. the two of you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, yeah, we'll bring you back together. But uh, thank you, Jess, for sharing that. Yes, thank you, Jess, and thank you to everyone that sent in your Freaky Friday stories. If you have an odd but true story, maybe you've encountered Bigfoot, you've seen a UFO, you had a brush with true crime, or you felt the presence of an otherworldly being, send them in at SinisterHood.com slash Freaky Friday. If you like our free episodes, you'll love our Patreon bonus content. You can join for free to see what we're up to next or dive into over 500 hours of bonus content. We recently posted something early for all subscribers, including free subscribers. The conversation with that came out today, they got that early yesterday and ad free, and that was for everybody. We like to include even the free subscribers. We give you guys some cool stuff. So head on over there, take a look at all the tiers we offer, see what strikes your fancy, and <laughs> sign on up. We've got um a live stream coming up at the end of the month too on January 31st, 8 p.m. Central Time. That is going to be a lot of fun. So there's yeah. <laughs> still time to join for that. Yes, today is the last day of voting. If you hear this after January 26th, voting is closed. I think Heather Saves is in the the winning by about 56%. So I will will be watching some videos, looking at pictures, reading articles and stuff I've saved uh, from Reddit and TikTok and other places that uh, that Christy's going to be live reacting to pretty much. So uh, <laughs> along with all of you all. And yeah, if you sign up for the free tier, not only did you, will you be able to hear our conversation with um, Debbie Riddle and Dana Flightman ad-free, and it came out early, but also... Uh, uh, once a month, we're doing like a throwback Thursday where we'll release uh, one of our bonus contents for anybody. So you don't have to pay or anything. All you have to do is just sign up for free on Patreon and you can check that out. And uh, we're trying to figure out other stuff to to send out for you all because we just appreciate you all coming on the journey with us. So uh, head over to Patreon and check it out. And we'll see you all on the 31st for that live stream. Mm-hmm. You can also head to SinisterHood.com and click shop on the top banner to check out merch like mugs, t-shirts, totes, stickers, clothes for your kiddos. Right now we have our tour merch from 2023 and 2022 is on like a last chance clearance. It's 30% off. Don't forget if you are a subscriber at the Rolling the Airwaves or getting into it tier, you have a coupon code that you get to use for 10 or 20% off merch depending on what tier you're at. So make sure you uh, check the pin post on Patreon and get that code so you can go over and buy you some, uh, some clearance merch as well as some of our cozy designs as we continue into this wintry season absolutely while you're on our website you can also review the show follow us on socials and check out the episode description you'll also find fun things like topic-based playlists and links to live show tickets so when we go back on tour um probably in the next few months then you'll have access to that too and you get first dibs on access to those if you are a patreon subscriber you can follow us on Instagram and threads at Sinisterhood Pod. You can like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. Follow us on YouTube where you can check out video episodes of the show as well as uh, our interview with Dana and Debbie and some other fun videos we've got at uh, youtube.com slash Sinisterhood Podcast. Check us out on TikTok for our TikTok shop where there's some deals going and order videos of us 
saying whatever you want at Cameo. We can say happy birthday, happy Valentine's, happy Galentine's, anniversary, whatever you're celebrating, let us celebrate with you. We got uh, any sort of strange ephemera from the studio we can include. If you want the corn skull <laughs> to make an appearance or McGruff, we've had requests for pedal, anything like that, let us know at cameo.com slash Sinisterhood Podcast, and you can uh, tell us what to say to you. Christy, where are you at online? I'm on Instagram at Christy and Wallace and TikTok at Christy or GTFO. Heather? I'm pretty much everywhere at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy.